together, and then we're going to conclude our worship this morning by sharing communion together as Jesus uh, asked us to in remembrance of him. Over these past uh, mornings, we've been looking at the gospel uh, according to Moses and uh, recognize that the human race is in trouble and only God can save us from the mess that we're in. And the most comprehensive term for what God is doing to get us out of this mess is salvation. If anyone ever asks you, where is God and what he's doing in the midst of all this suffering, you say, he has come. He is bringing salvation to the world. He is our only hope. He is saving people. Salvation is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is God stepping in on our behalf. And the story of the whole Bible as the story of Exodus is the story of salvation. And in Exodus we've seen how God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. The key man in that story was Moses, but he's not the hero of this story. He's not the hero of my story, and I'm not the hero of my story. You're not the hero of your story. Jesus is the hero of our story. God reveals himself as Yahweh, the great I Am. God is a God who saves, and we know him as Jesus. And throughout the whole of the Old Testament, it is a signpost to Jesus. And over these past weeks, we've traced the amazing story how God delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt by his mighty hand, defeating and bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt, so-called gods of Egypt. It was a momentous event that God's people would always remember the Passover and Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, was sharing Passover with his disciples, and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And this week, I was just reading and uh, sort of reading the Christmas stories once again. It's always great running up to Christmas, just to read those accounts, in particularly Matthew and Luke, of the birth of Jesus. And it's amazing how often I've read the scriptures, well, not as much as I'd like to, can't pretend, but sometimes just little verses sort of jump out at you. And uh, I was reading in the early uh, chapters of Matthew, and when Matthew says, and so it was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And Matthew's referring to Jesus. And Hosea prophesied it about Jesus, but also reflecting that God had called Israel, his people, out of slavery in Egypt. So this is related to this sort of series we've been on, but I want to just focus in Matthew for this morning. So if you'd like to turn on your Bibles, or turn with me in your Bibles, or just look at the screen, we're going to have... Uh, a reading, just verse 1 from chapter 1 and then from verse 18 through to chapter 2. Bit of a long reading, but it's good stuff. And 
I want us to look at this morning as Jesus, the true and perfect Israel. Jesus, the true and perfect Israel. How Jesus fulfills those promises. So Matthew begins his gospel with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. And you know Messiah means also Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. And then from verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Amen. And as we read that, I want you to 
try and hear the echoes of what we've been looking at over the past weeks of how God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, how he fulfills all those promises. Should we just pray together? Father God, we thank you for your words, and as we just spend this time, give us ears to hear what you would say to us. Stir our hearts once again. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us this morning in a new way? Would we be aware of your amazing life and death and sacrifice for us once again? In Jesus' name. Amen. How important are works to your salvation? What you do and how you do it. How important is the law to you and how you obey it? to your salvation. If we're good evangelicals, which I don't know if you are, good or bad evangelical, you'd probably say, actually, no, my salvation is not based on works. My salvation is not based on me obeying the law, but it is only the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only that he's lavished his love upon me that I can sit in this room as someone who is forgiven. Do you know that you are forgiven because of Jesus? Not because of any works that you have done in your life. And if you're a good evangelical, you'll be there sitting there nodding your head and saying, Philip's very sound today. We won't throw him out as a heretic just yet. And what if I said to you that Actually, our salvation does depend on work and obeying the law. Let me explain, because I often mislead people. Jesus obeyed the law fully for you, for me. Jesus' work for you and for me enables us to say that we receive freely the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that there is nothing we can do to contribute, but just receive it. And I think that's what Matthew does in his gospel. He just reminds us of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Matthew was a Jew, a tax collector called by Jesus to be an apostle and he writes his gospel. If you've ever read it right through, you'll know he writes it and he keeps referring to the Old Testament because he was a Jew. And he was writing predominantly for Jews when he wrote it, although it's obviously a gospel for us all. And he reveals within that gospel Jesus as the true and perfect Israel. Matthew sees how Jesus and his life mirrors so much of the history of Israel, but except that Jesus walks perfectly 
the path on which Israel so often strayed. That in ways, Jesus' life mirrors the history of Israel. Except Jesus was perfect man and perfect God. The Apostle Paul rightly tells us and reminds us in Ephesians 2 that it is by grace that we have been saved. Phew! Through faith. It's not from ourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the truth of the Scriptures. If we try and earn our salvation, earn our right standing with God, we end up as religious people. Religion is bankrupt. It has nothing to offer anybody. Jesus didn't come to make you religious. He came to forgive your sins and to call you to follow him. We're not religious people. Whenever someone says, you must be religious, just say, no, I'm not religious. Religion doesn't help anybody. Jesus does. And we're called to follow him. But it is by grace that we are saved. Matthew wants to point out in his gospel that Jesus, our Savior, was perfect in every way. And gave his life so that we might be free. We are saved by faith in the one who fully obeyed the law. Jesus was without sin. So he fully obeyed the law. And through his sacrifice, brought salvation for us, brought it to us freely. Matthew's very first verse in his gospel stresses that Jesus is the true Messiah. The anointed one, the Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those promises. That's promised to Abraham that we looked at in our series in Genesis. Through your offspring, all nations will be blessed because through his offspring, Jesus comes. And then that verse that struck me this week, out of Egypt, I called my son. We sometimes forget that Jesus had to escape. Mary and Joseph took him as a refugee into Egypt. And it mirrors for Matthew, Israel's years of slavery in Egypt. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Jesus too survived the massacre of babies in Bethlehem as Moses had been spared the massacre in Egypt. And as Isaiah prophesied, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Jesus is the fulfillment. That massacre of babies echoes the one inflicted by Pharaoh, but also by Herod when he'd met with the Magi who had come from the east to worship Jesus, the King of the Jews. All the time in his gospel, Matthew points out how Jesus fulfills the promises of God in the Old Testament scriptures. 
how Jesus follows in Israel's footsteps but walks in obedience where Israel fails. Last week, Edward helped us to see as the the people of God came out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And there was this analogy with baptism passing through the waters. God didn't have to take them through the water. There was another quicker route, but he took them through the waters. Why? He wanted to show them that there was no going back. That their enemies were defeated. And that there was freedom. A new beginning. A break with the past. And for Jesus too, when he was baptized in the River Jordan, it was the beginning of his public ministry. In all those years as he had grown up, we don't know anything about except Luke mentioned something when he was 12 and he went to the temple and you can read that story. But Jesus was baptized as he begins his public ministry. And for us, baptism declares our allegiance to Jesus. It says, I'm not going back to the land of slavery anymore. I'm not going back there because my enemy has been defeated by God. Once we were all in slavery to sin and death, and Jesus has set us free. That's the gospel. And baptism marks when we say, yeah, I'm free. I'm under the lordship of Jesus now. And there's no going back. A new beginning. If you read on in Matthew's gospel, you'll read how Jesus is led out into the wilderness. Forty days and nights, no food, no water, being tempted in the wilderness. And you know what? He overcomes every single one. Whatever the devil throws at him, he resists and he rebukes and he overcomes in his humanity. Not in his divinity. He he overcomes the enemy in his humanity. He says, it is written. He refers to the scriptures. It is written. He fulfills what Israel couldn't do in the wilderness. Do you see that as Matthew paints this picture? The Israelites wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because they were disobedient. Why? Because they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He is the true and perfect Israel. And then in chapter 5, Matthew says, Jesus climbs the mountain and he gives this amazing sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Because he gave a sermon on a mountain. It's really original, but there you go. And it's the greatest teaching that has ever fallen from a human being's lips. And there too it has echoes of Moses climbing the mountain. And he met with God and received the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he fulfills it. Jesus comes to bring a new covenant, not written on hearts, not written on tablets of stone, but written on hearts, prophesied by Jeremiah. 
But Jesus also says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, I've come to fulfill them. Now, Jesus clearly had no time for the religious people, the leaders, who put burdens and laws upon people. He had no time for that. No time for the man-made extras that religious people put to hold people down. To rob them of their joy, of their salvation freely by the grace that has been offered them. And you know what? The church did exactly the same for so many years. They just put burdens on people. Made Sunday the most miserable day of the week because you weren't allowed to do anything fun. Or maybe you were never brought up in that environment. It's not what Jesus meant for us. No man-made added extras. But Jesus kept the law perfectly. He was tempted in every way, says the Bible, yet he was without sin. And because he did that, in his humanity, because he did that, the life that he offered is a perfect life. Without blemish, without defect. The people of God had to take a lamb, one year old, without blemish, without defect, sacrifice it and put the blood on the doorpost. Remember that. Jesus fulfills it all. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world without defect, without blemish. Yes, we are saved by grace. Hallelujah. Don't walk out of this building ever feeling condemned. Because Jesus doesn't condemn you. He saves you. He forgives all your sin. And even if you're sitting here right now and you think, he doesn't know what I've been, he does. And he knows the sin you're struggling with right now. And he's forgiving you for that through this, his sacrifice, because you are his. You don't walk away from a gift like that. Jesus is the Savior, our perfect Passover. He offered his perfect life as a sacrifice, the blood of the Lamb, for our sinful, imperfect lives. If you're trying to get there in your own merit, you're going to have the most miserable life ever. If we could show on the screen all our secrets to one another, we would all die of embarrassment and never show our face to one another again. true, isn't it? But Jesus covers it all. See, when we come to know Jesus and then we go and watch the film, it's blank. It's all being washed away. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fabulous? Covered by the blood of the Lamb. We're saved because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. What an amazing thing. Jesus became sin for us. My sin was heaped on Jesus when he was crucified. Yours. Sins of the world. The sins of the ISIS fighters. The sins of the pedophiles. 
all were heaped on Jesus. Because he took the sin of the world. That whoever believes in him, whoever turns to him, whoever repents, whoever trusts in him, will not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. Jesus fulfills those promises. The cross of Jesus is the proof of how he feels about you. How does God feel about you? The cross is how he feels about you. Don't let anyone sow you any lies. The cross is how he feels about you. That's how much he loves you. And nothing can separate us from his love. And God calls us once again to walk with Jesus. And even today, to renew our trust in Jesus. Oh, what a privilege this week to hear someone say to me, yeah, I invited Jesus into my life actually last week on Alpha. Oh, you had to wait till this week. How wonderful to hear people say, yes, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want Jesus to be in the driving seat of the car of my life. Not the boot, taken out occasionally, picnics and special occasions. Not even in the back seat where he's allowed to be a back seat driver occasionally. Not even in the passenger seat when he's right next to me and Jesus is going right next to me as long as I'm driving. No, he has to be in the driver's seat. And some of you have put him in the passenger seat. Some of you have even put him in the boot. It's time to ask him to come and sit in the driver's seat. And that's really risky, isn't it? Do you remember that look of fear on your driving instructor's face when you first got in the car? Remember mine. Fear and faith mingle together and hope. <laughs> but we don't have those doubts, do we? Jesus is in the driving seat because he loves us. How many of you like to be in control of everything? Let him into the driving seat. I could see a number of you nodding, but most of us have control issues. Don't worry about that. Most of us want to be, you know. Yeah, Jesus, you can control everything in my life. Except, no? Not preaching to the choir, obviously. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. But if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we are saved by the grace that he offers us through faith in what he has done. And what he is doing, because he's at work in your life right now. And what he is going to do, because he has promised to present you before his father without fault, with great joy. What a day when Jesus presents you before his father without fault and with great joy. 
I, for one, am looking forward to that. Because Jesus has done it all. He's done it all. In perfect obedience. So come. Come back to the cross. Come to that place of forgiveness. Come to that place of healing. Come to that place of salvation. Come to share once again in this simple meal when we remember Jesus. Come because you need a savior. Come because Jesus is the savior that you need. Should we pray? I'm going to ask the band to come back. Lord Jesus, as we come to share in this simple meal and we remember you, we thank you that we remember that you came. That Jesus, that you with your Father and the Holy Spirit were there from the very beginning of all things. You were before all things. And yet you stepped into history. You stepped into Human, human life, you stepped in for us to bring salvation to a broken and lost world, to us who were broken and lost. Thank you that you are the perfect and true fulfillment of all those promises. And we today reaffirm our faith. And maybe... If you're here and you've never invited Jesus into your life to be the one in the driving seat, to be your Savior and your Lord, to know that freedom of forgiveness and eternal life and a fresh and new encounter with him by his Holy Spirit, I encourage you today, would you take a step of faith? Would you give up trusting in yourself and trust the one who is able? And for others of us who know Jesus and love him, we're here to reaffirm and renew our commitment and to say again, Jesus, yes, we want you in the driver's seat of our lives. For anyone here who is struggling right now and you don't think that God could love you because things are in a mess, well, he does. Would you invite him in? And would you choose him? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Once again, move amongst us as we prepare our hearts to share in this precious yet simple meal of remembrance and anticipation of what is still to come. Because we love you, Lord. You are our hope. You are our salvation. Not by works. We could never do it. But thank you that you did it for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this next song as we prepare to share communion together.
shall be our meditation.
invitation is for all of us who would trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord to share in this simple meal. Come not because you must, but because you are invited. Come not because you are strong and have got all things sorted, but because you are weak and acknowledge your need of Jesus. Come not because of any goodness of your own gives you the right or merit, but come because you know that you need mercy and help. Come because you love Jesus and you want to love him more. But most of all, come because he loves you and gave his life for you. Come and share in his body and his blood given for you. Please do take a seat as uh, we just ready ourselves. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to pass the bread to one another and take a piece as we receive it and eat and renew our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Can I invite those who are serving to come? I need probably four servers. I've got three baskets and then the gluten-free. So. Thank you. Thank you. Rob has got the gluten-free bread, so if you need gluten-free, just raise your hand and Rob will come to you and uh, 